Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode number 23 of the Granite Cornerstone Podcast. We are so happy to have you here with us this evening. Tonight, we are going to be discussing the topic of Masonic Widows or Special Ladies. Uh, joining me this evening, we have Brother John Glover. John, how are you? I'm doing great, Tim. How are you doing? Doing very well, thanks. Also joining us this evening is Scott Newberry. Scott, how are you? Good. How are you doing, Tim? Doing very well. Uh, Chris Busby was going to join us this evening, but he is driving home from Ohio where he was presenting on Masonic Ritual. So uh, you've got just the three of us again this evening. So I hope that's enough for you. Um, but here we go. So we're here to talk about special ladies, Masonic widows. So before we get into this, let's do what we always do and set the stage for our audience. Uh, who are we talking about? I'll let you go, John. Oh, thanks, Scott. <laughs> uh, so special ladies, uh, we always have to explain that to our new brethren. It's not a, a term that comes naturally, uh, but it refers to any widow of a brother who has passed on to the Celestial Lodge above. And uh, so specifically, we're talking about our widows. Uh, obviously, that is in the, the title of tonight's episode, Masonic Widows. Um, and one of the things that we are obligated to do is, is to help aid and assist those widows uh, after a brother's past. You know, very often we say that the last service we can perform for a brother is to give them a Masonic funeral. But, uh, you know, for most of our brothers, those who are married, uh, and, and survived by a spouse, we have some extra service that we can provide them. So Scott, why don't you tell us a little bit about what it is specifically within the jurisdiction of New Hampshire, but uh, you know, generally what's done for special ladies. So I, I think the, the, for most, the big thing is outreach. Uh, what I'll go back to when I was a kid, one of the big things we used to do is we used to look at after shut-ins, you know, those people who can't necessarily get out take, uh, to do grocery shopping, take care of their property, shovel out uh, when it's when it snows up here in New England, uh, not as much as it used to. But um, I think that's where a lot of it comes from. It's the service to the widow is what most of us will think about when we go ahead and, and talk about our special ladies. You know, reaching out by phone, dropping by, you know, letting them know that there are people who are interested and, and want to make sure that they're taken care of, make sure that they get what they need. You know, sometimes it's just as simple as a quick phone call, five or 10 minutes. They want to just talk to somebody, check in with them. Sometimes it's, you know, like I said, showing up and plowing a driveway or, you know, picking up groceries for them at the grocery store. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, if you do Instacart and DoorDash, it gets really expensive on the fees these days. So just being able to swing by and pick a few things up at the grocery store is a big help for a lot of them. Yep, I, I think that's uh, certainly something we can do. John, uh, I know you've talked about this a little bit, and, and mm -hmm. I know your lodge is the, uh, what is it, the center of New Hampshire masonry, right? Oh, the center of the Masonic universe. Oh, excuse me, the center of the Masonic, the whole Masonic universe. <laughs> yes. Excellent. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, your sitting master. What does your lodge do for special ladies? Uh, what we do, and we've been doing this certainly for as long as I've been a Mason there, and I know it goes back a long time. Uh, we always hold, well, we do, the, the lodge does programs for special ladies, and individual brethren uh, do whatever is needed for special ladies. So uh, from the individual brethren's perspective, it's like, what Scott was just talking about. There's uh, um, shut-ins that are taken care of. Uh, 
usually kind of errand running things, picking up medications when uh, they need to be picked up, uh, delivering mail, clearing out driveways, that sort of thing. They tend to be done by brothers who are close to the family, though, or had always been close to the family, either ge uh, geographically or, or emotionally. Uh, at the lodge level, we send out poinsettias every year for for Christmas, uh, we send cards. Uh, we do hold a joint veterans and special ladies program where we individually recognize every one of our our ladies. Um, at the moment, uh, we're blessed to have a secretary who is a local boy, and all the special ladies who tend to uh, participate in that are also local. So he knows them all very well and knows uh, knew their husbands, and so he uh, is able to go around to each one of them and talk about them in great detail and and that was they bring them to life because they're obviously alive but um it, it paints them as an individual and not just a oh you're a, a widow so we have to take care of you no this is this is a real person who is an individual yeah, i think that makes a lot of sense oh, scott go ahead no i was gonna say i i, I think that's where i think in some cases it, it, it's it's there's a disconnect because it's that that uh, on individual who knows the other individual versus the i have to reach out because they're part of this and i hate to use the term category of individuals at the lodge knows you know it's like yeah it's like well we need to reach out to demon reach out to rainbow we're gonna reach out to our widows and I, it it kind of separates them it doesn't make them as 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 personable as what you're talking about mm -hmm. you know and i think that's one of the things that that's really interesting about the widows right uh, we talked about this a little bit in our prep call, but really there is a, a generally a, a pretty significant generational separation between active members of a lodge and, and a lot of these ladies uh, sometimes because of the nature of death, really. I mean, you know, a lot of these people are widows of Masons who, who were active many, many years ago, may not have been active recently, so we may not necessarily have relationships with them. How do we even know who our special ladies are? I mean, you know, John, you've got an excellent example where your secretary uh, is is in there and and sort of knows these people intimately and probably knows their their spouses who have passed. But I know, you know, in my lodge, our secretary is is a relatively new Mason, um, and our master obviously is relatively fresh. Our entire line is is not past masters, so. How do we identify these people? How do we find out about them? How do we connect with them? That was one of the challenges I had as a master, certainly, was trying to figure that part out. I don't know. Uh, speaking for myself as a, I mean, yes, I'm a sitting master, but I'm a relatively young Mason. I've only been a Mason nine years. Uh, and I'm, I'm no spring chicken, but I'm also not part of that special ladies generation. I feel that same kind of awkwardness that, that you just expressed. Um, most of the special ladies in my lodge, I don't know personally. Um, and certainly I didn't know their, uh, their husbands. Um, they're all, you know, dead before I came in even. Um, we have had a couple since I became a Mason, you know, regretfully, but that's natural. Um, I've seen some brothers seem to have a, a more natural affinity to get to know them. Um, some of them I've, I've discovered, they've gotten to know them through like Eastern Star, for example, which oh. is a, a way to connect. Um, others just, it seems to come more naturally. 
Um, but it can certainly be a challenge. Scott, you are uh, you are not a young Mason. I don't mean that to say that you're old, but you've been in the fraternity uh, longer than John and I combined, I believe. I'm I'm coming up on 20, 23 years. Okay, so yeah, just about. Um, what are your thoughts on this? You you've got a history with a lot of you know a lot of people. Obviously, you know you've met a lot of these guys over the last twenty three years. Who's whose wives you may have met. How do, how do the lodges with younger members, younger masters, younger active members find out who these special ladies are? So, so it's interesting that you, that we touch on this because uh, while I'm definitely in the older section of the, the, the Masonic age, chronologically age speaking, I'm not in that generation, which, you know, typically you see with the special ladies. Um, so it kind of gives me a, a different perspective on things, especially when I look at lodges today. You know, John, you mentioned that you're only nine years in the fraternity. You know, mm -hmm. typically we look at our, our our wardens, you know, either a junior warden or senior warden to work with our special ladies. And my own lodge, we're going to be having young men go through as wardens, you know, in their mid-20s. So now you've added a, an extra couple of decades of distance between age-wise. So really, and they, there's no way that they actually knew these individuals personally. So at that point, it becomes, unfortunately, on the hands, on the heads of the secretary. You know, you need to follow up with your members. You need to know who your members are. And when they pass away, hopefully you have the information about their wives uh, or their significant others or whatever, the, whatever term you'd like to use at this point in time. Um, I know that from my own experience, I did not always know that those individuals. And in some cases, I didn't even know the brother had passed away until, you know, it came time to say, hey, look, you haven't paid your dues in a couple of years. What's going on? Um, so it's really tough uh, to make sure that you keep track of who these special ladies are. And once you know a brother has a significant other, then it behooves the secretary. And thankfully, our Grandview system has a spot for it now. Um, you have to keep track of who those who those people are and then you have to understand that you have it's your it behooves you to keep track of them you know reach out like uh john like you said your your lodge does you know cards and poinsettias and, and invites them to events so you actually understand who they are and, and get to know them a little bit but a lot of that falls on the secretary or whoever your special ladies program person is assuming you have a a program around your your uh, masonic widows and such uh but it's, it is it's 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 like trying to keep track of your membership. You know, it's, it's the same type of thing, but a different category. So I'm a relatively, uh, 14 years of Mason, John's nine years of Mason, Scott, again, you know, the old as, long as, as long as the two of us here, <laughs> in my experience, wives tend to be relatively active now in masonry. You know, we have a lot more uh, a lot more ladies at the table. We have a lot more wives getting involved in, I don't want to say the business of the lodge, but we certainly lean on our, our spouses a lot more. Um, and, and they're generally, in my opinion, more visible now than they were 14 years ago when I joined the lodge. So Scott, you know, I think we're going to lean on you, uh, for your wisdom. Uh, oh boy, we're in trouble now. Wis wisdom and experience, <laughs> we're going to call it. Start calling grandpa. How, how about we just go with experience, not wisdom? Okay, that's. <laughs> I think everyone uh, watching and participating can agree with that. Um, how active were these ladies, possibly? You know, when their husbands were around. You well, know, I, so 
you know, I'm, whether it's good or bad, I've had some different experiences than you've necessarily seen, Tim, because I've seen lodges where you never see a wife at all. Um, they're not involved with the fraternity. They don't, they're not interested in being involved with the fraternity. Then I have, and I've seen other ones like you, like, you know, like you've seen Tim, where there's a ladies at the table seems like, you know, every year uh, and you get all the wives there and they're participating and they're active. It's, it's interesting because, you know, I don't remember when I was a kid. And of course, you know, we've touched on this before. I grew up in a Masonic family. I don't remember a lot of events where my mother and father went to an event together unless it was a public event, you know, the installation or a, uh, a Christmas event or something like that at the lodge. Um, so the I think the active wives in the fraternity is more of a more recent uh impact i do know that there are plenty of wives over the years that have been very active especially those that got involved with the eastern star you see them a lot more frequently uh, but the it is it's hard because they don't necessarily see all the wives that you'd like to see you don't know what's going on i mean i know plenty of brothers who are married and you never see their wife they never even mention their wife uh the only reason why you know they're married is because they're wearing a wedding band so it's it's you know there's a very widespread as far as activity from the wives go. Um, and I also think that one of the things that we don't take into account here is, and I, and I really hate to say this, but there's a divorce rate out there that, you know, all of a sudden the wife may not longer be interested anymore because, you know, they're no longer together. Uh, so how do we handle those? Uh, it's, it's all part of that whole, the only thing you can do is you can reach out and invite them and make them welcome and then see who wants to come around. You should never force a wife to show up to events, but hopefully you can at least keep them involved. If the you know if the lodge is doing birthday cards, make sure you include the the wives in, into that. You know, uh, if you're sending Christmas cards or poinsettias to families as, as opposed to just the the special ladies we have, then go ahead and um, you know make sure you address it to the wife as well as the husband. So, well, so I think you bring up an interesting question. So let's talk about this, um, John. We'll, we'll go to you first with this one: wives versus widows right mm. um we tend to invite the, the special ladies out which which is our term for widows um to events that are tailored for them but generally that's the sort of thing that we also invite our wives out to how do we make those events special for those individuals who are no longer connected to the fraternity through marriage but only through you know the death of a husband that's that's very tough um of course what immediately springs to mind is our own special ladies program that we do where we individually sure. call them out um and it's it's our annual way to recognize them and bring back some memories of their own of their husbands who are gone and to thank them for the time that they allowed us to spend with their husbands um we and it's it's a public event, obviously. So we invite everybody to come, you know, current wives, kids, and whatnot. Um, and we make sure to uh, remind everyone that every all family is special and whatnot. But it's a special time to remember those widows who you know made the sacrifice uh, to do an event like, say, the. Um, I was going to say the special ladies cruise. I never participated in that, so I don't necessarily want to use that as an example. But to use a um, uh, ladies at the table lodge, uh, 
perhaps, uh, where obviously you're going to invite special ladies, but also uh, wives. I'm not sure how you can make it specifically tailored to the special ladies um, without excluding the wives. Um, I don't know. Um, it's just real. It's, uh, I'm dying here. <laughs> no, I, I because uh, listen, as a past master and, and as somebody who came into that role relatively young in age, I didn't know how to have a lot of the conversations that I would say are necessary to have with, with, with you know, mm -hmm. widows in their 70s or 80s. Yeah. And take a step further, uh, Tim. We've got brothers now in the fraternity that are joining in their early 20s, their mid 20s. So, I mean, there's another 10 year difference because you, you came in when probably in your 30s. Um, I came in in my 20s, but I was mastered by 33, I think. So, yeah. Right. So, I mean, you know, you've got brothers that are, you know, it's, it's, it's a challenge. I mean, you know, you invite your special ladies in and, and you're introducing, you know, members of the lodge to them. It's like, you know, put a 22 year old in front of a 70 year old and it's a big difference. It is. And I, Dave Ackridge uh, has some interesting comments here that he's just shared with us. Mm -hmm. uh, starting the special ladies relationship at the funeral. Um, he mentions his lodge has a broken column ceremony where they get presented a pin. I know that's something that we talked about on our prep call. It's not yeah. something I've seen before, but St. St. John's does that as well. Okay. Um, you know, obviously I think, I don't want to say it's easier when it's somebody who's died recently. Right. But how, how do we start that relationship up again? Because if you go to Larry Sprague, right, who is generally responsible for the special ladies program from a Grand Lodge perspective, I'm sure he would share with with you. And, and I don't want to speak for him, but I, you know, I will say the participation in the special ladies award that Grand Lodge offers is is relatively low. I think that's pretty well known. Mm -hmm. um, well, I think that's that's it's potentially a misnomer because. While participation in the program from a Grand Lodge level is low, meaning there are few lodges that actually submit for the award, and I only know this because I was a district deputy for for several years. You know, you look at who's who's actually putting the paperwork in to be considered for the award. I have to believe that there's a great many more Masons and lodges out there that are participating. They're just not looking for the recognition. Yeah. Well, and that's something I actually struggled with myself this year's master is as the deadline was approaching to apply for that award, questioning, because you know, I, I do not have the sense that we do enough for special ladies. We always should be doing more. I, I agree with you on that entirely. And it just, it it feels kind of, there's, there's, a, there's a good word for this and it escapes me at the moment, but it, it, let's just say it awkward. It feels awkward to be applying for an award. Yay, look what we did for our special ladies. Yeah, we could have done more, but look what we did. It's a little self-aggrandizing. Well, and, yeah, and the other exactly. part of it too is it, it's it's part of our obligation to take care of them. Right. So, I mean, we're doing, we're, we're asking to be recognized an award as being best in the jurisdiction for something that we should be doing anyway. It's like the Major General John Sullivan Award. You don't, give it to someone who does the job of the office they're in you give it to someone for going far above and beyond their obligation effectively and, and yeah so are we necessarily looking at at 
lodges or are any lodges really there i know there's a few but how many lodges are really going far above and beyond um what they should be doing for their special ladies i do like the point that that right worshipful brother Ackridge just made which is in applying you are sharing best practices which is i think a very important aspect of that award that we probably mm -hmm. could do and i certainly didn't think about and that's um, actually what pushed me over the edge was to share what we do because I, I have heard certain things that other lodges do, like, oh, hey, that's a great idea. Or, wow, that sounds like a great idea for the lodge. a lodge in that particular situation wouldn't necessarily apply to my lodge. But, you know, share the ideas. Yeah. And, again, it's it's such a, it's, it's a hard question to answer, right? We're, we're given very vague instructions as to what we're supposed to do, right? Um it's help aid and assist, right? That's, that's what we're supposed to do. What are the boundaries of that assistance or that help? Where, where do we, you know, what is above and beyond? We don't really have a definition for that. Are we supposed to just make an outreach, make sure that their, their driveway is shoveled? Um, are we supposed to do more than that? And how do we identify that as, as our responsibility? Um, because I think that's something we don't really talk about is what's the, what is the bare minimum, right? And, and what is above and beyond? Well, I would think the bare minimum would be reaching out once a year and saying, Hey, how you doing? Yep. I, I mean, I mean, I, I hate to set a, a low bar, but I mean, you know, I would think at the very least, that's what we should be doing. That's yeah. fair. But as far as what's above and beyond, I don't think you can, I don't think there's, a, there's, a, there's no ceiling. I don't think there is. No, I, I agree with that. Absolutely. I agree with that. But you know, what, what is uh standard practice? What should be the bare minute? What should be the basic that every lodge is doing? And then what defines going above and beyond? And John, I think if you're inviting them to an event every year, you may not feel that's above and beyond, but I'm sure there's a lot of lodges that certainly don't go that far. So well, no. And, and I, I really appreciate what the, um, uh, the the committee that evaluates all the applications does by recognizing lodges that they're not necessarily looking for the lodge that did more than every other lodge. They're looking for the lodge that perhaps did so much more than they had done in the past or did something really new and interesting. Or even if it was just took care of a single special lady in dire circumstances in a way that was that just truly exemplifies what it means to be a mason uh and deserves to be called out for that you know okay so a lot of that is rolling in money took 50 special ladies to a cruise that's wonderful but another lodge that's barely scraping enough together managed to keep a special lady in her home by paying her rent i don't know i'm just kind of making this up off the top of my no, head but those are equally laudable acts when you it, consider the the resources right. available Exactly. So uh, the, the point, I, one of the things I wanted to bring up when I brought this whole thing up before we started kind of getting into, you know, what lodges do is there are certainly lodges that don't do enough. There are probably lodges that don't do anything. Right. Um, and I know I've seen lodges that don't have an active special ladies program. I think it, at some point in time, mine was a lodge that didn't really focus on it. And, and that's been reignited recently. Um, but how do you, as a lodge, kind of fix that problem? If you've got a special ladies program that has just fallen off, you haven't done anything for years and years and years, and you've lost contact, right? You don't even know who these special ladies are uh, 
at all. You don't know if, if the special ladies are alive. So now you've got to go look that up. How do you reignite a program like that? Personally, I think that starts with individual outreach. You know, just who are they right out of the gate? Um, I know at Horse Chase, we have somewhere between 40 and 50 special ladies on the books, as it were. That is a lot. It's a, well, we have around 200 members on the books as well. Uh, some of the special ladies that we have now, we recently inherited from Harris Lodge because of the merger. Um, oh, okay. But the ladies that come to our special ladies program, we're happy if we get 10. Yeah. So we get a 20th of them. So the rest of them are just kind of out there. Now, there's, there's a handful that I know um, that it's just, it's not their thing. They they have their individual contacts. Um, and it's it's another point that we made before. You know, each of these ladies are different. But particularly, say, if you're a small lodge with no active program uh, and you want to get it going again, I couldn't see saying, "Yay, we're gonna we're gonna hold a special ladies program. We're gonna send invitations out and hope for the best." I'd be surprised if anybody showed up. Uh, but if you at least started out by just reaching out to those ladies, it's, it's no different than to me at least than reaching out to those brothers that you haven't seen in forever. Uh, reach out to them, see how they are, reintroduce yourself, see if there's anything they need, float the idea of wanting to be able to do something you know, hold an event to be able to recognize them because i think there there are there are definitely two sides to it there's the what i personally classify as more the the obligation side the, the help aid and assist and that has almost always got to be on an individual level you know what can we do for you specifically but the other side is for the lodge or the brethren as a whole to be able to thank those those ladies um, and, and and recognize them for, like I said before, for allowing us to spend time with their husbands. And that I think is done. It can be done at an individual level, but I think it's, uh, it, at least in my experience, works better at a, at a lodge level because then the whole lodge is there. Uh, you've got multiple generations. You can do something bigger. But I think if you're if you're going from a standing stop, you know, where you have no program at all, I think, you know, just, just, I was kind of rolling the idea through my head as we're talking about it here. Um, just start with one, you know, pick a, 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 an individual who you, who you believe is still around, you know, cause let's face it, we lose touch with our special ladies. We, you know, they may no longer be with us, but take, pick one, reach out and work from that from that response because a lot of these ladies at least the ones that i've talked to over the years know the other ones so hey i'm talking to you know uh, i'm talking to you know betty she happens to know joan she knows joan's still around so now you can reach out to both of them and say okay you know and and kind of grassroots it up from there but you need someone in the lodge to take ownership the lodge just can't say we're going to do a special ladies event yeah without actually knowing who the special ladies are where they're located, you know, I know of, uh, of a couple of our own special ladies from my own lodge, they don't live in the area. And if you said, hey, we're going to do a special ladies event in three months, maybe come, you know, because it gives them time to make arrangements to come up on, on for the trip. But some of them, you know, you're talking, you know, a thousand miles. That's not, a, you know, a, a hop, skip and a jump, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I, I think that, you know, if you're working from, you know, from no program, active program at all, 
you just can't say we're going to do a specialized program. You know, to your point, John, you just, you just yeah. can't go from zero to a hundred in this kind of situation. I think you really have to build it up from the ground up. Mm-hmm. You know, just start one brother, you know, or a couple brothers and a couple of ladies that you you know you feel are good outreaches and and start from there. I like that. So I kind of want to change the topic of conversation a little bit. Uh, you know, we've talked a lot about special ladies and sort of what we do as a lodge. I want to talk about something that may be a little bit more controversial and, and really talk about what we're calling. And I know uh, we had this conversation very a little bit on the, on the prep call, but special ladies is a term that if you don't know what it is, doesn't necessarily tell you what it is. Right. And in a lot of ways, I don't know that it's necessarily the best name for this program. So what, what, I don't even know where I want to go with this, but no, I think, I, I think Tim, where, where you're trying to go with it is, is that when all of these programs started and all the recognition started for, for our, our Masonic widows, the term special ladies came up, whoever thought it up, thought it up. The, the challenge is, is that just like we have with new Masons coming through the door, if you take a look and, you know, we did it on our pre-call, we all took a look at it, you know, you know, we hit the infamous Google search and it's not a term that's accepted across the board. Not everybody calls these, these individuals special ladies. Uh, and it, it makes it a challenge because when we say special lady, who do we actually mean by a special lady? Uh, I know a lot of us, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, would call our wives special ladies even before we're gone. If I don't, uh, she'll hurt course. me. So, yes. I mean, special ladies could also be our daughters. I mean, you know, they are special to us. So, I mean, it's it's a challenge to because it requires education on every front in order to understand who they are. Uh, I mean, admittedly, Masonic Widows is a tough term because while most people would say, yep, that's a you know, the wife of a Mason who's passed away. Uh, I know I've heard more than a few times, maybe not recently, but for a long time there, the term Masonic widow was also applied to a wife that was still with us because she never saw her husband because he was at Masonic events seven days a week. Yeah. My wife uses that term liberally. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, mine, not so much now. I'm not out as much as I used to be, but uh, you know, it's, it's a challenge to, you know, you don't want to really want to label anybody. I mean, that's the thing is, but you need to have something to kind of, you know, plant the flag around, you know, as far as the, uh, you know, to gather around that flag when you go to try and put together a program or something. Well, and again, I think it's already awkward enough to recognize this group in any way, because really for a lot of these ladies, you're, you're highlighting them because of the worst thing they ever experienced in their life. Right. So calling them Masonic widows really just highlights the reason they're there is because they've lost their their husband. Um, so I think that that is a tough term to use for a lot of reasons. But special ladies is a term that is kind of it's certainly antiquated, but let's let's talk about a subject that you know has has come up in my mind before. We have brothers in this jurisdiction who are openly gay. They are in long-term committed relationships. Some of them may be married. And and I think we're getting to a point, certainly as, as you know, we get older in this generation, we're going to find a lot of Masonic widows are, are not ladies anymore. 
how do we include them in, in a way that isn't excluding them based on, on their gender? How do we include them in a way that creates events that, that are for them? I mean, inviting a bunch of, you know, uh, males, widows, right. To a ladies at the table is, is fine. But again, you're inviting the special ladies or the widows or whatever you want to call them to a, a, a ladies at the table because it's open to ladies. How do we, how do we create a system or, or a term or, a, or anything that acknowledges the existence of these relationships, the legitimacy of these relationships and be inclusive to these individuals? Because I think special ladies is a term that is already excluding a, a fair number of our, our brothers for no reason. Well, the good news is, I think, functionally what we do, while it's obviously tailored to ladies in terms of, like, for example, at our special ladies program, we provide little gift bags, which are geared toward ladies of a particular generation. Sure. It wouldn't take much to tweak it in order to um, make it so everyone who is there uh, is taken care of appropriately. The term is what's really tough to change. Yep. Um, on the one hand, I like Masonic Widows because it, it leaves, there's no ambiguity at all. You're right. Um, but it is a bit morbid and and can kind of pick the scab, as you, as you put it. Though, let's be honest, that is why they're there at a special ladies program. We are acknowledging the fact that they are the widow of a of a brother. Um, I don't have a good solution. Um, I mean, we talked about this at length. It's, it's, um, it's also a difficult position because it'll, it'll, this will become less so as the our older generation, you know, passes away. But there's a fair number of individuals out there who, you know, don't even want to acknowledge the fact that we have, you know, gay brothers. Yeah. You know, they, they don't want to be associated with them. They don't want to be involved with them. Uh, I mean, there are entire grand jurisdictions that have those. Beliefs. Oh, I, I understand that. And that's one of the things that, you know, unfortunately comes into play. You know, you you want to be inclusive. You want everybody there and, and naming aside, you know, there will be people who now you have in a lodge room who. You know, we're, we're supposed to be harm. There's supposed to be harmony in the lodge room, and you you get an opportunity, a, a possibility of having a very disharmonious situation, and not because of any one individual's fault per se, but because of you know social norms from generations. You know, this is the way we were brought up. This is the way it, it's supposed to be. Uh, to people who just you know don't understand the the differences and don't want to accept the differences, uh, it, it's very difficult for a lot of people to come to grips with that stuff. Uh, but as far as naming goes, uh, you know, what are you going to do? Special spouses? Uh, you know, it's just, it's just, there's no real good, easy way to, to, to relabel the program without giving it some good in-depth thought. Yeah. And I, again, I think Masonic Widows is probably the most apt description because nobody is going to sit there and lodge a new master Mason or an EA sitting at a, a, a you know, a stated meeting. Nobody's going to ask me what Masonic Widows means. I've been asked what a special lady is more times than I can count because 
again, to what you said, Scott, our daughters are special, our wives are special, all of these people are special to us. Well, it, it's actually, a, it's a, and I realize this is going to slide off course a little bit, but it's systematic of some of the naming conventions we have. Masonic veterans, you know, we call it a veterans program, but it's for our Masonic veterans, not necessarily our military veterans. And that's a big, big uh, disconnect in a lot of cases because people don't see the difference between the two. Typically, we roll it all together and we do we recognize everybody at the same time that, that has that veteran status, but they mean two very different things. Mm -hmm. That that one I will say has also been very confusing before. Yes, um, I, I get a lot of people who are military veterans who are wondering why Amazon Veterans Program doesn't recognize them, and I, I think that's a that's a very good point. There yeah, are definitely some. There are some terms out there. So, so let's let's jot that down for future episodes. So, um, <laughs> yeah, having grown up as the son of a veteran, I I, I totally understand the the thought processes. So, um, but yeah, with with what we're dealing with tonight, you know, it's it's hard to say this is what you should call the program because the program's going to continue to morph and change, and hanging on to as you said, Tim, an antiquated term may not necessarily be the best thing for everybody involved, it, it, especially where we've got a lot of new folks, a lot of first generations Masons coming in. You know, they don't have any Masonic ties when they come in. They have no idea what any of these terms mean. Yeah. And, and a, again, even antiquated is one thing, uh, specifically exclusive of individuals is, is one of the things that I think bothers me more than anything. But, well, it's exclusive in, in two directions because the term ladies excludes um male spouses right out of the gate as as you call out tim but it also means that what well, you're saying that only the widows are special wives aren't special mothers aren't special daughters aren't special well they are well so why can't we call them special you've also yep. got the, unfortunately you have another connotation that you have to worry about and that's because special is used to has been used in the past to label those individuals that need extra assistance you know, special education comes to mind right off the top of my head. Uh, you know, it's it's unfortunate that that could easily be confused in that perspective as well. So, I mean, th there's a lot here to uh, to try and unpack and, and straighten out and figure out. And, you know, obviously it's not something the three of us are going to be able to solve tonight. And, you know, we probably should definitely make sure that everybody understands that these are our opinions and not the opinions of our Grand Lodge. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and I think that's one of the, the challenges we have is, is that, you know, you've got to, in order to make a change here, you have to understand what's going on. You have to understand what, what, where, what the original intent was and then go from there. Uh, is there something that we can substitute that might make it a little easier and cleaner for someone to understand? Or is it just something that, you know, we're just going to have to live with because there's no option? Nope. I think that's fair. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Like, I don't think we're going to solve anything. I think I just wanted to bring it up more so that we have the conversation. Yeah. I, th I think that's one of the things that I think, Tim, when we started this many, many moons ago was, you know, the whole purpose of the podcast was not just to educate, provide some education, but also start the conversations and hopefully, you know, brothers that have listened to this either live or, you know, on replay, uh, you know, get that opportunity to kind of bring up the conversation in their own lodges. Yeah. I, so one of the one of the other things that came up a little bit earlier that I want to talk about again, um, very briefly, is we talk about widows a lot. Uh, we talk about it in our in our ritual, but always appended 
to that is orphans. I know that's not the topic of conversation tonight, but generally we, we tend to put them right next to each other in every conversation we have. Um, we don't do, we don't, I can't remember the last time we've talked about Masonic orphans in, in the sense of uh, a Mason who has died, who's left children behind with or without a wife. But what is that? Has anybody heard of anything being done for, for the children of our, our brothers who passed? Other than, well, I specific examples where there was a definite need that was met, no. That said, particularly at any funeral, uh, and, and this is this is what I, I mentally classify as part of that individual outreach. Um, just like we reach out to the special lady if, if she's there, but it, it all the family, but particularly the the the, the widow and the um, well, the orphans, the, the, the children left behind, whether they're grown or not, um, it's the, here's our contact info. If there's anything we can do for you, please, you know, don't hesitate to reach out and perhaps even continuing to reach out for a period of time. Um, I think, Scott, you mentioned at our prep call uh, that the, the usual kind of almost mutual grieving time is about, what, six months or so. Um, and, and that kind of wears off at that point. Yeah, there's there, there's a tendency, uh, and this seems to be, it's not specific to the topic we've got tonight. It's not specific to Masonic Lodges. It's indicative of how society seems to work is, right. you know, after a certain period of time, usually somewhere between six and 12 months, all of the outreach about, you know, someone who's passed away. We even see this happen. I've seen it happen with people who are injured and need help. You know, that first couple of months, everybody shows up, there's this big outpour, and then it gradually fades off. And it's like, whether the need's still there or not, it's just, we're all kind of worn out. We've all kind of moved on. There's the next new crisis to worry about. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's one of the challenges we have is that ongoing, and that goes back to, you know, like what you said, John, earlier, where there's, you know, something you guys do every Christmas, you do something. And, you know, there's always a, you know, like a birthday card that goes out. So there's constant touch points, and it just doesn't just not the immediate need when it happens. And I think part of the reason why we don't see too much about orphans is most of the brothers we're losing right now are in the later stages of their lives. Their kids are all grown. And in some cases, their grandchildren are grown. Yeah. So there isn't a, a there isn't a, a youth component for a lot of these brothers when they pass away. Uh, I can only think of in my own experience for funerals that I've actually gone to and attended uh, that are Masonic, I can only think of one where the brother might've had kids at the age where there should have, there, there may have been a need for the young, for the kids, but the vast majority it's, you know, the, you know, the children are already adults. In fact, some of them have already started their families. Mm -hmm. so yeah, and I, I think one of the things I've thought about since our prep call and sort of since we've been talking about this a little bit is, Generally, if a guy dies at an age where he's got younger kids, it comes as much more of a surprise. And the reaction tends to be a little bit more visceral anyway. Yes. Where, where, John, I think you mentioned this, you know, you've got your senior deacon who's got younger children. If something were to happen to him, everybody would be there anyway. Right. Because of the, the, the drasticness of that situation, because of the, the place that they're in. Um, but, you know, I know there are potentially guys that may not be as active as potentially a senior deacon. May pass that that we don't get to 
we, we don't necessarily get that involvement with our kids. But I, so it's just something to think about that I, I I haven't really you know seen before. Well, the the other thing too is is that I think one of the challenges is that the way most people look at the term orphan yep. isn't what it was when our obligations were written. Today, most of us think an orphan is a child without any parents. And if you look back at some of the older definitions, and even if you look at the current definition, if you go read a little further into it, it's loss of either parent makes them technically an orphan. Yeah, and I, it's funny you say that because I have I would never have considered a Masonic orphan, when we say widows and orphans, to be a child whose both parents have died in, in presumably some sort of horrible accident. Right. But that's um, typically how we look at an orphan. An orphan has no parents. Yeah. It's just, it's a weird, it's weird that I've never considered it that way, but that is the traditional definition. That is certainly right. the way I'd refer to it outside of masonry. Right. But that's but, very interesting. But if you do, if you do a little digging, you'll find that, you know, uh, losing a father would technically make you an orphan. Even if your mother's still alive, you're technically an orphan. I blame Annie. Absolutely. Annie, Oliver. That's what I was thinking of. Oh, Oliver. That's a good yeah. one. Um, yeah, no, and I, you know, I think there's, Dave Ackard made an interesting point in, um, was it Dave? Yeah, historically, orphans were supported by the Lodge. Mm -hmm. This whole concept is, is something that, you know, you, you think about it, it makes sense because we're, we're a supportive fraternal social organization and we want to make sure that it's taken care of. But this is something that has very strong roots in the history of, the guilt system, right? Yes, absolutely. Taking yeah. care of widows and orphans, even in today's labor unions, right? Paying pensions to widows. This is something that has really strong historical roots in, in those stonemasons guilds, for example, that we take, we talk about. It's really interesting to, to think about that. Well, I mean, it's not just the, the guild systems. I mean, even today's modern military, my mother still got benefits when my father passed away through the military. Yeah. You know, and I, I, we talked about this a little bit. So many of our modern Masonic traditions uh, are more military traditions that we've sort of adapted than anything else. John's gone quiet. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm liking the conversation. I mean, you kind of stealing all my thunder because <laughs> I was thinking of the, of the guilds and uh, uh, pensions. I was thinking of my. Um, my father-in-law who uh he was he lived in greece and his after he died his pension went to his wife and if if when she goes uh my wife will still be entitled to a portion of that even though she's in her 50s now that is uh, remarkable yeah uh, it's it's from an old greek um unionized pension system actually sort of through the government um, which i'm not even sure exists anymore but it's been sort of grandfathered but we don't we recognize that in our obligation still, and we individually certainly um, respond to that on the individual level when a brother dies, you know, at the time of the, the funeral. And, and certainly, <sighs> obviously, in the best cases, you know, we keep the relationships going with the individual um, family members. Uh, we don't, though... We, we don't hold programs, though, like we're going to have a special orphans program. No, that just sounds horrible. <laughs> yeah. And, and how would you keep track of them? Uh, I, I saw a comment earlier. There was a, 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 a widow and a daughter who kind of got lumped together as a 
as a package, so to speak. And I think that's actually a, a great idea um, if, if that happens to work in a, in a circumstance. Um, if you've got an out-of-town family that's got uh, a, a wife and six kids and 12 grandkids, that starts to get a little unwieldy. Um, that is true. No, but I mean, if you think about a situation like that, it may be the assistance that the lodge provides at that point isn't direct. It's more of a, hey, let us help you work with the other area uh, groups, the other area programs, so that you can get the assistance you need. It becomes more sure. of a, an aid from that perspective than a direct aid from the lodge. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that gets overlooked in a lot of these cases where, oh, well, this individual needs this help. Well, the lodge can give maybe an immediate, you know, we can take care of it right now we'll get you over the hump but long term we need to help you out like a, a good example would be you know in the middle of uh, the winter i'm out of oil you know yeah. so the watch says hey look you know we'll, we'll, let me call up we'll get you we'll get you 100 gallons of oil so you, you can stay warm and you have your hot water but obviously there is there an actual need for heating assistance going forward if there is let's you know get you in contact with the right people to help you out yeah. uh, so that there's a longer term solution for the individual i think that's one of the things that we overlook a lot when we start talking about helping, you know, not just our special ladies, but others, it's like, what other programs are out there that we can take advantage of? Uh, and that I realize takes a lot of, you know, education on our own parts to figure out what, what they can reach out to. But it's something that I don't think we necessarily look at, you know, helping a special lady maintain heat through the winter, yet can the lodge afford to foot the, the oil bill all winter? Maybe, maybe not, depends on the lodge, but can they put her in contact and help her over the rough spots of getting the assistance she needs that in my book that's just as good i mean because totally. you know we're, we're taking care of her we're helping her you know in some cases navigate some pretty heavy heavy waters when you deal with government agencies yeah but uh it's it's something that you know i think we should take a look at as well as you know for you know uh you know not just the the wives but also the kids too i mean you know uh, i'm looking here and I, i'm gonna steal from you tim uh, dave Ackridge mentioned uh scholarships for assistance in education yeah. I just noticed uh, that. You know, it's it's just one of the aspects. And, you know, there's there's a lot of them out there, uh, but there's a lot of good programs, not just in the fraternity, but even outside of the fraternity that can help not just with education, but other things that they might need. You know, the heating assistance, the electric assistance, you know, home assistance, you know, rental assistance. You know, there's lots of things out there. It's just a question of where the, those programs are and who knows what they are and who do you put them in contact with? And maybe you're right. Maybe the lodge just needs to learn more about those resources in their local, their, you know, their small community and figure out what that is and just be available to share those resources. That alone is, is you know, when somebody is grieving uh, is a huge help. So I think that's that's an excellent point that I, I wouldn't have even I certainly would never have considered, Scott. So I, I'm glad you brought that up. You're this is why Jay. you should be master again, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> All let's, in let's, favor? Wait, 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 back up, back up. <laughs> I saw your hand up, Scott. You you voted for it yourself. <laughs> Jay, I'll, I'll be honest with you, Tim. Uh, and, you know, we're not, we're not supposed to talk ballots, but I did not. I abstained the year I was actually elected master. <laughs> so it was not a unanimous vote. Uh, I think this has been a good conversation. And, and I really appreciate the, the engagement from the audience. We've got a little bit of a small audience today. Uh, mostly my own fault for not getting the, the right communication out there about tonight's episode, but I appreciate those of you who did join us. Before we sign off, I just want to go around and ask if there's any final comments. Uh, we'll start with you, Scott. Well, from, from where I'm sitting, I think the biggest thing is, is that whether you have a program or not, there's always the opportunity to start one. And like I said earlier, start small. Just get the, you know, 
pick a pick a brother who you know has passed away reach out to their widow and just introduce yourself say hello you know and just just so they know that someone's thinking of them you don't have to necessarily offer assistance you don't necessarily have to ask right away what they might need just the fact that they know that someone's thinking about them means a world of difference to a lot of these people so i would say that's my suggestion you know if you don't have something start small and if you have a program ask the person who's in charge of your program is there one of these ladies i can reach out to to help you know just, just to say hello nope i i like that and i i think that just to piggyback on that real quick scott and john you brought this up earlier you know we do a lot of individual outreach that we don't consider lodge special ladies outreach but we should um those brothers who are out there doing those things they may not be doing it for the accolades they may not be doing it for the recognition but they're doing it because they're masons because they're members of your lodge and i think that's a very important recognition that they deserve whether they tell us about it or not the lodge should make every effort to to recognize as part of their special ladies what those individuals are doing um just something i, I was thinking about john uh, any final thoughts actually i i had a little brainstorm even um kind of piggybacking a bit on what Scott said. Uh, it doesn't necessarily relate to trying to start a program if you don't have one, but looking ahead to future special ladies, you know, kind of start early. I'm not saying necessarily circumvent the brother and reach out to his wife, uh, but as much as is appropriate, include the wives because the longer that they feel part of the fraternity themselves, uh, I think the more likely they are to be an active special lady when that time comes. Um, honestly, I kind of I like it when I see all the special ladies show up. I wish we had more. And I think it, it, you're never going to get all of them. But if if they just feel like they're, you know, that, that we are part of their family, even from day one, uh, when their husband was made a Mason, then um, they're going to continue to be part of that family and you know not wait until joe dies to to reach out to them and say oh well he's gone now now you know now we're your your surrogate husbands you know there's, <laughs> make that relationship early <laughs> yeah i i that's i like that a lot you know i i think that's a really important point and something we, we probably don't think about we don't want to think about our brothers passing away but we know those who are you know a little bit older may not be in the best of health and and even then, even before they get to a point where they, they may be uh, failing in, in health, we know who our, our brothers are and we should be inviting wives and getting people more involved to start building that relationship early. That's excellent. Uh, one thing to, I assume he's piggybacking a little bit on what Scott said about local resources, John Bertozic in, in the chat brought up veterans resources. A lot of those guys that we have passing away now um, certainly have served their country and there may there's a lot of red tape to deal with uh with the va and to john's point we've got a lot of brothers who, who have knowledge and, and expertise with that that can help so that's another excellent way to just help you don't have to write a check if you can get them the right resources whether they're they're monetary or just help they need to find them i think that's great um this has been an excellent conversation i appreciate you both for joining me uh i will say to our audience thank you so much if you have any questions, comments, concerns, please do not hesitate to reach out to us at granitecornerstone at nhgrandlodge.org. We really want to hear from you, hear what you find interesting. Um, the email address is on your screen if you're watching us. Um, we will be back next month uh, on Memorial Day, which is the 28th of May. 
And we will be talking uh, about a topic I'm very excited about, which is our unsung heroes in Lodge. And that's those Lodge officers that do so much for us, uh, but don't don't tend to get the recognition I think they deserve, specifically your Tyler, your Chaplain, and your Marshal. Um, and Chris Busby, uh, if you're listening, which I know you will be because you have to edit this podcast to upload it, you better be here for that because I know you've got a lot of thoughts, especially on that Marshal and their role in ritual. So hopefully we'll see you then. Uh, May 28th at 7.30 p.m. We will make sure to get that communication out early. And uh, and thank you, everyone, for joining us. Uh, you've been a great audience tonight, and we really appreciate the engagement. Have a good night, all.